All right, I need a few volunteers. I already have two mandatory volunteers, Emily and Vicar have already agreed to play. Does anybody else want to play? That's hard to say. It's like tongue twisters. Anybody else want to play it? Nope. All right. All right. Sounds good. So it's just the two of you. You can stay where you're at, okay? Uh, Emily has a little advantage because she was here Thursday and played as well, although I did switch up some of the tongue twisters. Uh, So uh, we'll go back and forth saying tongue twisters. If you mess up, you're out. All right? That's the rule. So we'll start with we'll start with Vicar because you had this one on Thursday. So go ahead, easy one, classic. All right, very good. Nice, nice, uh, Vicar. Oh, stumbled. All right. <laughs> the easy one gets you. All right. So, well, you have to you have to prove it. You have to prove it. All right. You got the easy one too. Okay. So, Emily is crowned the winner. All right. Um, but th- you know, we could have gone we we made it all the way through on on Thursday. Betty, you know, we got the Betty bought a butter one or we got uh, Peter Piper, P- Peter, Peter Piper, you know what it is, right? Um, but then a synonym for synonym is a synonym, synonym. You can, that's a tough one to say. Uh, this is a tough one. I mean, all these are tough to say, and maybe you can try it as well. Of all the smells I've ever smelled, I never smelled the smell that smelled like the, that smell smelled. Um, that's a tough one. Anybody else want to try it? Yeah, I think that one's a tough one for This one's also a tough one. All right. Um, Who threw three free throws? Uh, I think this is the last one. Lesser leather never weathered wetter weather better. And four fine fresh fish for you. This is a tough one, too. Um, All right. Point. What's the point? There are many things that are hard to say. But there's some things that are harder to say than even those. Maybe not more difficult to pronounce, but definitely harder to say. And perhaps the two hardest things to say are, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. Or what fits in with what we usually call them around here, confession and absolution. Why? Why are those things so difficult to say? Not just to each other, but even to God. When it comes to confessing our sins or saying I'm sorry to God, I, I think it can come down, be whittled down to, to two main points. One, one it's, it, it, there's a misunderstanding of who God is. And secondly, there's a misunderstanding of what sin is. I mean, first of all, you, why is it hard to say I'm sorry to God because of a misunderstanding of who he is? So just pe- peek with me, peek into the, the throne room of heaven with me for a little bit, and you 
the, you know, the Bible describes what's going on in heaven and it shows all these angels uh, circling around the throne of God. But they're singing something. You know what their song is? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That they saw God with all this awe, with all this reverence. And, and I wonder, and I, I would agree, I would surmise that we are missing that awe, that reverence for who God is in our world. Not just in our world, but in us as well. I don't know if we always see God as being this, this holy God, this, this God who's so special, this, this God who is so set apart that we, we stand before him like, wow, that's, that's how amazing he is. I mean, just maybe to put that into uh, to context, I, you know, I wonder if, if we saw God as being this, this holy God, just this special being, would, would our worship pattern of him look something like that? Where it's up and down and up and down, up and down, up and down. Or even if we wor- worship God 75% of the time, would we, would we ever walk the 75-mile trek that these pilgrims offer, or that these pilgrims walked as they sang the songs of ascent that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks? You know, is God set apart in our lives? Or is he just a part of our lives? You know, and you can look at it in so many aspects. You could say, yeah, okay, what about worship? You could say something about like maybe our gifts, our offerings to the Lord. If you haven't picked your, your offering statements up there yet that we have to supply to you, you know, as a nonprofit, we have to give you an offering statement every year. If you picked up your offering statement and you plugged that into your, your family budget, would, would someone else look at your family budget? Wow, God is really special to you. Or would they look at your family budget and say, wow. Eating out is about four times, gets four times bigger piece of the pie than, than God does. Now that, that's not the scale. Hopefully your mortgage isn't about 50% of your expenses. But you get the idea. And I'm not saying that, you know, remember, God is, God is also love. God is also your father. I don't want you to get this idea that, that God is so far out there that he's unreachable. No. But I do wonder. Have we lost that awe, that specialness of God? Have we lost that holiness of God as we stand? If, if God isn't seen as anything extraordinary, if God isn't seen as anything holy, well then it, it stands to reason that we're not going to care as much about what he thinks. And we might just be more about you know, what I think. If God isn't so much special of a being, I may not care so much if I go against his will as I just want to carry out whatever I want to do. And so this misunderstanding of who God is will minimize or probably make it less likely that we're going to go to him so much and say that we're sorry. I mean, you even look at your human relationships. Who do you say you're sorry to the most? 
probably the people that are close to you because you don't want to hurt them. If it's just some random person, you may say, oh, sorry, but then you move on and it doesn't bother you. But when it's someone really special in your life, you're always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So too, we want a misunderstanding of God maybe gets in the way of us saying, we're sorry to him. But it's not just a misunderstanding of who God is. It could also be a misunderstanding of sin. I mean, if, if you had two compasses in your hands, and this is culture's compass, and this is God's compass, how many degrees separate due north from each other? What the world says is right and what God says is right. I'm not using that as an excuse to sin, but I, it is a reality that less and less people today, ourselves included, maybe we don't confess our sins because we don't even know what sin is. Our, our culture you know, just promotes this whole idea, do what's right for you without ever giving a second thought to do what's right according to God. Our culture promotes this idea as long as, as, long as the creature is happy, we don't even think about honoring the creator. And so what happens is that our, our sinful nature uh, just kind of gets sucked into this, gets, gets absorbed by this whole idea of, of what's around us. And so that conscience that God planted in our hearts, which is supposed to prick our conscience, every time we, we, we do something wrong, it, it just has it's been rounded on the corners and it just spins and spins and spins and it never, it never even really hurts anymore. And, and so we're maybe not pricked or, or, or prompted to confess with the prodigal son, Father, Father, I have sinned against you. And yet maybe another reason why confessing our sins before God isn't so natural, isn't just a misunderstanding of God or a misunderstanding of sin. It could also be that when we're confronted with our sin, we have a, a clear understanding of just who we are. And that's uncomfortable. You know, I, I think of, of what um, the psalmist says here. He says in verse 3, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Certainly not me. You know, and it's interesting, the word that is used here for sins. Uh, the Bible utilizes multiple words that are translated in English into sin. And that, that stands to reason because the more common something is, the more words you make up to describe it because you don't want to sound redundant. So if I were, you know, to, to use that as an illustration, uh, you know, cars are very much part of our society. So if I asked you today, hey, what's parked out in that parking lot? Some of you would say cars, others of you would say maybe trucks, some of you would say automobiles, some of you might say autos, some of you might say vehicles, some of you might say wheels, you might say hot rods, you might say, uh, you know, modes of transportation. We have tons of words 
to describe those things that are out there. And, and that's just the generic words. Otherwise, some of you might say Honda or Toyota or, or, or Nissan or, or, or Subaru, or some of you might even go further and you might say F-150 or you might say Tundra or you might say Outback or you might say Altima. You know, so many words that can be used to describe those things. So likewise, in the Bible, because sin is talked about so often, there's so many words, so many word pictures. And it's interesting, sometimes the word picture is, is like the idea of an archer where we miss the mark of God's law. Or, or sometimes it might have this idea of that I fall short of the demands of God's law. But this, this word is rather interesting because it has as, its, as the picture language behind it, it has this idea of, of twisting or perversion. To think that sinners are nothing more than perverts. Who wants to confess that? And I know we, we usually only reserve that word for sexual sins, but doesn't it show the depth, the depth of our spiritual state by nature? I don't want to confess that I'm a spiritual pervert. And yet by nature, without Jesus in my life, that's exactly what I am. And so I can understand. I can understand why, you know, why the psalmist starts off here. Yeah, out of the depths, out of the depths I cry to you. And what's also sad, I guess you might say, is that the closer we get to God, the more we realize how true it is that we are sinners. Because what, the closer we get to him, the more we hear what his word has to say, the more our conscience is sharpened, and the more we realize the gap that is between a holy God and you and me. You know, it's not a coincidence that this psalm falls in the second half of the, of the psalms of ascent, the songs that they sang on their way uh, to the temple. That, that they, you know, the way they started off, if you look at the early songs, they are all, whoo, life is awesome, right? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And where are they now? Out of the depths. Or the early song, songs of ascent. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. But now, I cry. I cry. Now, this is one of seven penitential psalms in all the psalms of all 150 psalms. And, and it stands to reason because here they are. They're getting closer and closer and closer to the temple. And, and as they are getting closer and closer to worshiping the holy God, they realize, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. And so they are led to confess, confess their sins. Yes, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths of my filth, out of the depths of my guilt, out of the depths of my despair. And yet it's maybe not just the shame 
and disgust of our own sin that, that gets in the way of us confessing from time to time. Maybe it's also the shortcomings of our absolutions. What do I mean by that? You know, th- th- there's that old proverb that says, confession is good for the soul, right? Which is true. That's biblical. Uh, but I don't necessarily think the absolutions that you and I give, the announcements of forgiveness that you and I give are always good for the soul. Because what has experience taught us? Oftentimes when we forgive, we attach something to it. We attach an if or an and or a but to it. Uh, You know, I will forgive you if you promise never to do this ever again. I will forgive you, and here are my demands for, to make sure that I don't tell anybody else what you did. I will forgive you, but it's going to cost you. Well, how inviting is that to confess our sins when you know someone's going to forgive you, but their forgiveness has this guillotine that's ready to come down on you, right? Uh, you know, something always hanging over your head. I'm not going to confess to you if, 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 it's, if it's conditional. And, and so... Sometimes the way that we absolve actually prevents people from confessing their sins. You know, I again reminded of that this of the last two weeks I've been working on uh, mission reports for for Wells. That's our our national association of churches that we're part of, and, and we get financial support from them. So we have to send in every February. We have to send in about forty pages of a report to them. And one of the reports that we have to do is a demographic study. And so, you know, they supply us with uh, all the information. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a program that will give you all what the surveys say around here. So if you put a map plot right here and draw a circle, eight miles radius around here, what would you say is the number one reason why people don't come to church within eight miles of here? Number one reason has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the Bible, has everything to do with you and me. Number one reason that's listed is Christians are too judgmental. Now, understand that could just be a deflection mechanism. You know, it makes me feel better about myself if I say, well, I'm not going to do this because they're doing that wrong, and now I put all the blame on them. But I think there's something we can learn from that, too. How do we absolve one another? Do we forgive with a, a pencil eraser where we, we, we maybe make the, the, the mistake go away, but some residue always remains? Or do we forgive with a delete key on a computer and we can just press print and boom, here's a clear copy as if there was never a mistake in the first place. Now the truth of the matter is you and I can never perfectly forgive one another. We can never give each other that delete key clean copy of forgiveness because we carry around this sinful nature that gets in the way. But God can. And God does. And that's what the psalmist realizes. I mean, here he is. 
He's in the depths of despair. He's, he's realizing, Lord, if, you, if, if anybody kept the record of sins, who could stand? I can't. But then this, this beautiful transition verse. But with you, with you there is forgiveness. And this is not human-like forgiveness. This is God-like forgiveness. This is divine forgiveness. Just like there's many words for sin in the Bible, God communicates his forgiveness utilizing a whole bunch of different words. Sometimes the word picture is that, that he, he covers our sin, like, like the blood of Jesus covers our sin. Sometimes the word that's, that's used is, is he blots it out or he erases it. But what's so interesting about this word that God chooses through the psalmist's pen is that every time this verb or this word shows up, God is always the subject. This is forgiveness that only God can give. So clean, so pure, so no residue left. You know, I, I always think of, whenever I, I think of it's only something God, or, or the, the picture of God's forgiveness compared to our forgiveness, uh, when our kids were little, we'd employ them once in a while to clean the house. All right, someone's coming over on Friday night, uh, but maybe Mary and I had errands to run. And so we said, you guys, you guys have to clean. And the first question out of their mouth would always be, mom clean or dad clean? <laughs> mom standards or dad standards? Dad standards meant make sure you pick up the dirty socks off the living room floor. Mom standards meant pick up the dirty socks, do the laundry, make your bed, scrub the toilets and mop the floors and vacuum and dust and cut the lawn and paint the gutters and everything, right? Um, you know, but mom clean or dad clean? Uh, our forgiveness that you and I give to one another is often dad clean. It tidies things up, but below the surface, it's still pretty dirty. The forgiveness that God gives you Jesus' mom clean. It is perfectly clean. And as the psalmist realizes that, but with you there is this divine forgiveness. With you there is this perfectly clean forgiveness. Notice the difference it makes in his life. He starts out in the depths. That's not where he ends. He starts in the, in the darkness but he ends in the dawn. He starts in despair, but he ends in hope. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I mean, just, just notice the superlative-sounding words that he uses there. Unfailing love or full redemption, forgiveness for all of their sins. There is nothing left to pay. No balance due. Jesus did it all. That is the forgiveness that you and I have. And, and, and it's not just the psalmist who can say that. That is for you. I know many of us come to, to worship or we wake up every day and we feel like we are in the depths of our sin. We are buried in the depths of our guilt. But what this is assuring you is that no matter how deep that pit of your own guilt is, the pit of God's love goes deeper still. Your sin, yes, your sin may darken 
the awareness of God's love of forgiveness in your life. But your sin cannot darken the reality of God's love and forgiveness in your life. A love that led him to send his son, not just to to walk this earth for 33 years, but a love that led him to send his son to a cross who would bear on his shoulders the curse of every one of your sins. A love that would lead him to send his son to the depths of hell so you and I wouldn't ever have to go there. That, that is the forgiveness that you and I have. That, that perfectly clean forgiveness. And so God invites you to confess your sins. Not because he wants to shame you or embarrass you. Because he wants to assure you all is forgiven. Through Jesus, that is not a difficult thing for God to say. Through Jesus, that is an easy thing for God to say. So don't let your sins keep you from worship. Don't let your sins keep you from running toward God. But rather, may the fact that you are a sinner get you on that road and run to God. Because there he stands as open arms, that father welcoming his prodigal and saying, I forgot what you did. Let's celebrate. What was lost has been found. So come. Come and worship the God who forgives you. Amen.